You're listening to the SHL Smart Teams Podcast, a show where we invite experts on people science to talk about how to build a future where businesses thrive because their people thrive. Hi, and welcome to this latest Smart Teams Podcast. My name's Devon Chohan. I'm Global Customer Marketing Manager here at SHL. And in this episode, I'll be discussing the growing importance of culture and personality fit for organizations looking for leaders and how insights gained from assessment data are key to hiring the right people to lead teams and drive growth. I'm delighted to be joined by Sophie Edwards to discuss these topics and more. Hey, Sophie, how are you doing today? Hi, Devon. Yeah, really well, thank you. How are you? Really good, thank you. I appreciate you joining us today to talk about this interesting topic. So to begin with, do you want to just tell us a bit about yourself and your role? Yeah, absolutely. So I lead the talent and assessment division of Drayton Partners. So we're an executive search business. We have international reach, but we're based in the UK and we recruit across mostly the consumer sector. So our niche is the food and drink industry. And then we also have a lot of experience in apparel and footwear as well. So some of our clients are the likes of Heli Hansen, Brockman's Gin, ABF Foods, that sort of thing. So quite a nice variety, but all mostly focused on consumer goods. I have a psychology background, so I have an undergraduate degree and a master's in psychology. And I've used that to really focus on psychometric assessments and how they can be used to support the recruitment process. Great. I think that gives us a good overview of of yourself and, and Drayton. In terms of the types of role you look at, is there a specific area you focus on? We tend to be kind of category agnostic. So we recruit in all areas, whether that's finance or marketing, but we do recruit only at the executive level. So we commonly place managing directors, marketing directors, finance directors, all that top level management um, into boards. We also assess leadership capabilities, board capabilities as well. And that leadership level is where we're focusing on today. And it's so crucial for organisations to get that right. And obviously, given your background and where Drayton operate, you've identified assessments as, as key to helping your customers with that. Can you just tell us a bit about what you think assessments bring to the table in terms of the benefits for your customers? So I think um, including psychometric assessments in the recruitment process has a number of advantages. First of all, I think it's really good for increasing objectivity. So removing the subjectivity of the process. So when a client, for example, has two candidates that they're struggling to differentiate between, comparing their psychometric profiling results can be a really nice addition. It gives them something kind of concrete to go off or at least a discussion point that they might not have thought of previously. I think secondly, it's really nice to add another layer of depth to the interview process. So what we typically see is the candidates will be put through a kind of standard initial interview and then their second stage interview will be primarily focused on kind of taking a deeper dive into elements of their personality and really assessing that cultural fit. So I think that's kind of the third advantage is really helping businesses align candidates based on cultural fit and what they can bring to the business other than their abilities in that role. And here at SHL, we're obviously known for a range of assessments, solutions covering talent acquisition and talent management. When we talk about talent acquisition, we have a framework built of three pillars, potential, readiness and fit. And each of those have various measurement strategies that we help organisations identify what they're looking for in various candidates and various roles. 
Can you tell us a bit about the process that you go through at Drayton in terms of how you work with your customers to identify the suitable candidates and what you're actually looking for? Yeah, so initially what we would do is we would have a calibration session with the client. So we've pitched for the work, we've won the work, um, and our next step is to kind of calibrate our thoughts check we know everything about that role that we possibly can and a key part of that calibration session is identifying core competencies that are going to be really crucial for success in that role going forward and what we like to use in that session is the universal competency framework that's a list of 20 competencies that shl have outlined and dependent on the type of role we pick the best perhaps four or five that are most appropriate and that would be crucial that a candidate needed to succeed in that role going forward once we have those aligned with the client we kind of get to work on our search side of things um, and that can take a number of weeks typically starts with us asking for recommendations from our network so the vast majority of placements we make are people who have already existed in our network but we also obviously do kind of typical things such as advertise the role in various places and actively search for new candidates from a different pool or a different group as well. We often get quite good quality uh, applicants to the job adverts as well. So they're always useful to consider. And then we assess their obviously, obviously their CV, but also um, their fit against those competencies that we've identified as being important. And one of the first ways we do that is in a competency interview. So we develop a set of interview questions that we would take the candidate through assessing, for example, something like, could you give me an example of a time where you've really dealt with a considerable period of pressure and how you felt in that instance? And we take all of that on board and we reach decisions as to whether we think they're a good match against those competencies or whether we think we need to kind of learn more about them and take them forward um, into some form of testing or not. And you mentioned our universal competency framework there which is used by many organisations. It's based on years of science-backed research that really distills individual competencies that are required for different roles. But obviously, you still have to select those competencies and each organisation has to find what's most crucial for them. So when you're working with these organisations, what sort of competencies are you seeing come to the forefront or have you seen any trends in terms of competencies that have become more important over time? So I think recently, one we've definitely seen being talked about more and more frequently is the ability to cope with pressure and cope with setbacks. And I think that's impacted by two things. Obviously, the pandemic, I think that's had a large impact on ways of working, um, people's personal resilience levels the ability to work quite independently for people who have perhaps been used to working in very collaborative teams. And obviously that was restricted during COVID. So definitely that coping with pressures piece, which has then since been amplified by all the inflationary pressures. So because we're in the industry we're in with food and drink, importing and exporting things are a large proportion of what lots of the businesses do that we work with. Um, so things like Brexit, inflation have all played their role in making life quite difficult for lots of the senior leaders and businesses like that. So assessing their ability and how they deal with pressures and when things don't go to plan has been really interesting. And then also related to that is a candidate's resilience levels. So I guess the continued impact of that pressure and setback over a sustained period of time and how that's impacting their outlook, such as kind of level of optimism, level of empathy with others and all of that sort of thing. And I think that highlights the importance of having some flexibility in your hiring processes because real world events can impact competencies that are required for the roles even on the face of it the role remains the same so it's, it's great that you constantly review that with your customers 
when it comes to testing as a whole, obviously there's there's ability tests and personality tests, which I know you use both of. How do you balance those when it comes to candidates in terms of importance or priorities? So we typically use the ability testing as well as an OPQ personality profile. So we like to use a combination of the two. But I think the personality component is definitely being given more of the spotlight. I think perhaps as an implication of everything to do with changes to working methods because of the pandemic, there's now a lot more focus on creating high performing teams who are closely aligned with values and culture as opposed to perhaps larger teams where it could go unnoticed to a greater extent. I think because people are perhaps thinning teams or creating a higher calibre of team, I think they're placing, placing a greater onus on trying to really check that that team is going to work well as a whole group and that the culture is what they want the business to be remembered by. Absolutely, Lee. And you see culture mentioned so much now in so many different contexts, whether it be employee retention, engagement, or of course, hiring. Culture is definitely something that you're seeing grow in importance, especially at the senior level, because at a more junior level, you assume those people will probably adapt and blend into the existing company culture. But those senior level roles and C-suite levels that you're hiring at, they obviously bring their own strong personalities and approaches to the business. And because they're managing those teams, they can have a profound impact on how those teams operate and the culture within those teams, and therefore the steer of the organisation. So that culture fit is really crucial at that level. Definitely. I think that's something we definitely see when um, our client, for example, is a, a chair of a board and we're recruiting their CEO or managing director. Um, that's something that definitely gets talked about because they really are leading by example and setting a standard for the whole business and if they're not behaving in a way that is I guess acceptable or they would not they wouldn't want it to be mirrored by others then that can lead to a lot of issues so really checking that they're at that standard and I guess um, modeling the right behaviors from a cultural and personality point of view is really important. Now in terms of how you then feed back all that information whether it be competencies, culture fit, personalities, abilities, there's so much information. How do you make that easy to understand for the customer? Can you just explain a bit about how you share those insights with the customer? Yeah, absolutely. So kind of linking back to what I said earlier, once we've done those competency interviews, we obviously put them through the testing and we use the the universal competency framework to assess their performance in those respected areas that we've identified as being really important for success. And it's then my job to feed back to the candidate and have a really interactive session where I just kind of try and harvest their thoughts on the aspects of their personality that have come out perhaps as the most interesting within the profile and the areas in those competencies that have raised the most questions. So for example, I'm working on a project at the moment where the client has asked for a really low ego candidate who's going to really be able to bring the team on a journey with him. So if I've got somebody who through testing, it might turn out is perhaps quite confident in their abilities and perhaps less modest than we might like to see for a good match, then that's a really nice talking point that I can kind of explore further with the with the candidate to get their thoughts on it and ultimately form my opinion as to whether I agree with the assessment or I perhaps agree with the candidate who might even be disagreeing with what the test is showing. And I form my report. And then what I do is I take the client through a summary of all the reports. So say at a shortlist stage, we've got four to five candidates who have completed the assessments. Um, So that would be the ability assessment and some sort of personality assessment. I can then take the client through a summary of all five in both of those types of tests, compare and contrast their relative performances. 
look at areas to probe and highlight things that if I was in their shoes, I would want to learn more about at an interview stage. So as I said at the at the beginning, that second stage interview or even in the first stage interview is a real opportunity for the client to, to tap into those specific things that they want greater clarification on, whether that's their modesty or whether that's their ability to cope with pressure, that sort of thing. So it can really be tailored, which is really nice. And that's where that evaluation stage at the beginning comes in useful, I assume, because you've identified the competencies that are important to the organisation so you can tailor it in that way rather than a scattergun approach where without an assessment or that UCF framework in place it would be difficult to really get all the correct information and really focus on what's important because you could easily you know go down a route where maybe it's not essential for the organisation to know these things. Exactly and yeah as you say it's very tailored but what's also interesting is when perhaps one of the competencies that we hadn't decided to focus on sparks a real discussion because for example one of them is um, entrepreneurial and commercial thinking and what we find is that that's quite a nice indicator for somebody who's very capable at kind of that blue sky thinking thinking outside the box looking ahead to future trends all that sort of thing and I think actually without realizing it that's a really desirable trait to have in some people even if it's not been specified as crucial so I think things like that when the discussion gets flowing with the client and I'm able to really just assess what the testing is showing me and what my session has revealed can be really interesting to find those unexpected kind of pockets of information and insight. Yeah definitely and how's the general feedback been from those customers when you're presenting those reports and insights to help them? So we always get really positive feedback from the clients. Sometimes they have queries based off the reports and that's really nice because to me that proves that they're really engaged with what the content is showing them. When I write my summary reports, I always try to suggest areas to probe in that second stage interview. So if I'm not there, what can the client take away as an immediate point to, to get the conversation going with? For example, I might prompt, how does candidate X feel his leadership style presents itself in a in the workplace or something like that and then that's just a nice talking point to get them going um, and then I can also suggest real specific points around the competencies themselves so if for example back onto that kind of low ego modesty side of thing could be when's an example of when candidate X has taken on board constructive criticism and really worked on self-improvement. And I think things like that, the client finds helpful to guide the conversation and um, add some structure. And you mentioned previously that you also feed back to the candidates directly, of course, given that their leadership level, maybe they're not necessarily expecting an assessment, but what has the feedback been directly from the candidates? So mostly it is really positive and I think that's because we try and make it a real value add for the candidate as well. Um, I think it would be quite different if we didn't give the candidate the time of day to kind of explore their results but we really try and make sure that we do. So when I have that feedback session with them I also send them a copy of their report at the end of the process they're involved with so they can refer back to that at another date. On the whole we also see that candidates are often actively involved in perhaps one, two processes at any given time if they're actively in the job market, for example. And I think even if it's not applicable for that role, they can then take a few little pieces of information that they can feed on from a personal development perspective and might perhaps learn a better response to a question if they were ever probed on leadership style going forward or um, perhaps think of development plans to improve in a certain area based off what the report might have flagged. I think on the whole, people aren't surprised by the results. Most candidates are quite self-aware and therefore they find it quite an interesting discussion, honestly. 
they're quite intrigued to see what the testing says. So on the whole, the conversations are really positive. Absolutely. And you've said their key is to really explain up front that it's not a one-way street. They're getting something back from it, even if it's not necessarily to be used in this role. Mistakes people often make is not giving that feedback to the candidates so they feel their time's wasted. But actually, it's very unusual that something wouldn't pique their interest in their report, that you may flag and have some developmental areas or areas that they can then take forward in, into their career, wherever it may be. Definitely. And I think that's maybe what's different about doing testing at this stage in a career as opposed to like a graduate or entry level role. I think typically that lower level, it tends to be to check that a candidate can reach a certain benchmark. And if they're not reaching that, they're not continuing the process. But for us, it's very much, it's not a, it's not the end of the world if the testing is perhaps not what we were expecting. What it gives us is more talking points. So actually, I think candidates are reassured by that, knowing that it's not a black mark against their name if they don't perform to X level. And at least they're going to get some explanation as to our decision-making process. I think it's frustrating if you put through these assessments and you invest two hours of your time and then you don't get any feedback and you never really know how you did or kind of what the takeaway was. So, yeah, we try and avoid that at all costs. And right at the start, you mentioned you have a candidate pool and, of course, people are going to be applying for multiple roles. How do you handle that from assessment point of view in terms of organisations maybe looking for different competencies and all those sort of things, but you don't want to really subject someone to taking, you know, multiple assessments for all the different roles? Typically, kind of as per SHL's guidelines, the OPQ is valid for 18 to 24 months in terms of what it's saying about somebody's personality. So as long as we're assessing options within that time frame for a single candidate, we're welcome to use their results multiple times, which is obviously quite good for efficiency purposes. But what we always make sure to do is adjust those competencies, as you say. So just because a certain business is looking for a marketing director, perhaps with a lot of drive, a real leader from the front of the pack and really high energy, upbeat, outgoing personality, doesn't mean that the next marketing director role that that candidate goes for is going to want the same requirements. So in instances like that, we would adjust the competencies we're assessing against, perhaps then focusing on things like their empathy and how affiliative they are in style and how much they like working with others as opposed to leading from the front, they're leading from the middle and and making sure that everybody is on that team journey with them. So we can really tailor the assessment even once it's been done just by interpreting the results in a different way. And data reuse is something we talk about a lot at SHL because the assessments are so powerful but you can really just apply different lenses to generate different reports and find so much more from the existing data without having to subject anyone to retake assessments. It's useful for obviously recruiters like yourself looking at different roles but also in Internally for a customer, if they're looking for succession planning, internal promotions, development plans, they can really just have the existing data in place and apply those different lenses and get a different view of the person. It's so powerful. And that's definitely something we've um, we've been experiencing that quite a lot. We have quite an, a large ongoing project at the moment that is much more of a talent mapping exercise as opposed to a straightforward recruitment need. And that project has involved internal and external candidates. So with that business, we've done a lot of leadership report profiling and looking at, I guess, candidates' potential as opposed to their proven ability right now in the kind of present day. And that's been a really interesting project to be involved with, actually, because I think there's a real value add for the candidate because they are enjoying their role. They're in an organisation that they respect and are having a good time with. And I think it shows 
a lot to them that their their organisation is invested in their personal development if they're using assessments like this to really highlight areas that they can work on and that what they develop would then put them in a better position going forward. So even if they're not successful in that process that they're going through, there's things they can work on and then perhaps the next time that promotion becomes available, they might be better placed and they might have developed the certain skills that were lacking from the first time they applied. And so circling back to where we started in terms of talking about growing importance of culture of personality fit and certain competencies. Do you see that remaining or being at the forefront still in organisations' minds when hiring leaders? Yeah, I definitely think so. I think, I honestly don't think I could name a meeting we've had recently with a client where culture hasn't been brought up. I think given everything that's happened in the last few years, it's a real kind of hot topic, but I don't see how that would change because I think the steps that clients and businesses are putting in place now are kind of future-proofing it from a cultural development perspective. I think also organisations that have faced allegations, not necessarily people we work with, but for example, the Met Police, you know, they've had a real issue with internal corruption and poor performance from a from a cultural perspective. It's been really severely lacking. And I think reviews into working methods and practices from a personality point of view are becoming more common and can only have a positive impact going forward. Excellent. That's been really interesting to hear and, and all your insights today. Fortunately, we are running out of time, but to end, is there anything else you wanted to mention around the areas we've talked about today? I think maybe just one other thing that's come to mind, just thinking about that, the transition of time and how things might change is that people who have done assessments in the past over a period longer than that kind of 18 month window that results are valid for, find it really interesting to to revisit results perhaps before or after an event. So taking the pandemic, for example, I've had some managing directors this week that I've been interviewing who have found it fascinating to see how their styles have personally changed from pre and post pandemic. So they used to, for example, be very solitary and they've become a lot more of a team player. So things like that have had a real transformation on leadership skills and teamwork and collaboration. And I think that's just another way in which these assessments can be really useful and quite a nice reflective tool as well. Yeah, and I think if the last few years have taught us anything, it's to expect the unexpected. And I'm sure personally and professionally, we've all experienced things we never thought we would experience. And, and that would have changed us, whether it would be our motivations or the way we work or, as you mentioned, learning to work in different ways. So certainly revisiting those assessments is always a good thing to do. Fortunately, that's all we have time for today. We hope you enjoyed listening to this. Thank you once again, Sophie, for joining me. Really appreciate your time. Thanks, Devon. Before we go, I'll just give a quick plug to some of our other Smart Teams podcasts. Got some around organisational culture and competency framework, which you know we mentioned today. So please do check them out. Otherwise, we look forward to you joining us on the next one. Thanks for listening to the SHL Smart Teams podcast. To learn more about how SHL helps companies leverage their greatest asset, their people, please visit shl.com.